Okay, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to Conversations and Coffee. And again, I'm your host, Brian Wells, and we have Marcus Green here. We're going to continue on with this conversation. And uh, what were we about to get into? We were talking about how uh, black transplants uh, find their struggles to find community here in Seattle. Um, I will say, and I I brought up a um, a writer of the Emerald, uh, Reagan Jackson, who I remember talking to me once about, because she's originally from the Midwest, and she talked about how when she first came to Seattle, granted, I think she first landed in North Seattle. Um, She talked about how it took her almost two years to really (laughs) make inroads into um, black community here. And that's the same with uh, you know, I've heard very, you know, similar stories from other friends who I've had who have, yeah. uh, you know, transplanted here. It's just that it's, it, it takes some time. I mean, I think it's a combination of, quote-unquote, the Seattle freeze. Right. And then, okay, well, where are the community hubs that people actually go to? Yeah, right? uh, yeah, yeah. Where are those black communities? Exactly. Yes, okay, go ahead. I, I mean, I remember going down to Oakland, and I was so surprised. I was, I was at a place called Miss Ollie's, and it just happened to be oh, a yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, Tuesday night. There's like ten black women just at this table, and I'm in my head. I'm like, this is some special occasion. And I'm like, yeah, it was a Tuesday, and it's just after work, and people no, are hanging out. That's Gary Payton's <laughs> aunt's place, isn't it? I am not sure. You probably know more. Okay, yeah, than you, but, I believe um, that's Gary Payton's. Gary Payton and his auntie okay. opened that establishment. I believe. I could be wrong. I, I know it's a destination. Uh, people. Four or five different people told me that I needed to go there when I went down to, to yeah. Oakland, and so I did. But um, but yeah, there's no place quite like that here in Seattle, and I think that's what you know. It, it makes it hard to make those connections where you can when you can go to a regular place and see you know routine people and then right. start to get to know them a little bit more. Right. Yeah, I've had my own, and I have my own story with black in Seattle and being black in Seattle, and I having been here for 23 years. I don't have that generational blackness, right? And I've heard oftentimes that, oh yeah, he, we, we don't, we don't, <laughs> because he's not black enough. And I say, well, that's really disappointing because I have a lot of life in my size eleven shoes or ten right. and a half shoes, depending on if it's <laughs> you know Italian or Japanese or whatever American-made shoe, which doesn't happen anymore. Right. But get to know me right. before you throw a stone at me. Well, and, that, and that's what I think it is, is that in, in some, you know, the black community is not a monolith. So in some case, in some places, you're just right. In other places, you're not enough. In some places, you're too much. So. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I, I, sorry, I don't have an afro with the pick with the fist in the back of it anymore. But I assure you, I am black enough. <laughs> but here's the thing is, if you don't want me in your sandbox, I'm going to build my own sandbox. I'm not going to knock and kick on your door anymore. I'm not going to try to sit at your table. I'm just going to build my own table and create my own door. And if you want to come in or sit at that table, like you're doing right now, <laughs> then we can get down and have these wonderful right. conversations and collaborate. I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's micro-community when it comes to what I've seen now. It's micro-community when it comes to black community here. Okay, we're going to take a pause again. We'll be right back, folks. Hang tight. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps up our uh, conversations and coffee today. I want to thank our guest, Marcus Green, for being with us today. I want to thank Togo Coffee, our host and sponsor, for allowing us to get down and get dirty. 
sometimes nitty and gritty. Uh, Marcus, you want to send us off with a word or two? I just want to say a thank you, Brian, for allowing me to be on the show. You are the Seattle's version of Tay Diggs, man. You just, wow. Uh, I just want to say, you know, very, very rena- a renaissance man in your own right. Thank so. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I really do. I, I work hard and try to do, I don't try, but I do the best I can do every single day with the time I have. We have very limited amount of hours, so it's important to use them wisely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk again. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right, Seattle, you heard the word. Have a great day. We'll be in your ear soon. Bye. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Seattle. Welcome to Conversations and Coffee. I'm your host, Brian Wells. And our host sponsor is Togo Coffee. And today, this morning, we have our guest, Marcus Green, who is an absolutely fantastic writer and another African-American male in Seattle doing big things. Uh, You flatter me, Brian, but thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) You've been a pillar of the community for quite some time, and you and I have crossed paths uh, intermittently throughout the last few years. Yes. That's interesting times right now in Seattle. 2019 coming up on the end of a decade in Seattle and an end of a lot of eras in Seattle. Yes. Um, I know anyway, the beginning of some new ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we're just going to go with the ebbs and flows and with the turns and changes. Um, but anyway, what's been happening with you? Yeah, so I recently came back to the South Seattle Emerald, soon to be the Seattle Emerald, um, as we are looking to expand. Um, after, uh, yeah, came back after a year and some change over at the Seattle Times, the, the largest regional paper, and just kind of wanted to, to come back and really be immersed in this community that I, that I know and love. Amen. And, so. That's awesome. So getting off of the work front. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how Please, yes. Seattle, yeah, how has <laughs> Seattle been for you this past year and a half, just in terms of all of the demographic changes and the gentrification? Mm-hmm. How, how have you viewed all of those changes that have been taking place, not just in the Central District, but also in the South Seattle area? Wow, uh, it's a great question. Um, Honestly, still processing some of them. Uh, Obviously, every every day, I know know we aren't uh, peculiar to just my job, but I mean, it's, uh, you know, every day you see, uh, bump into a a friend who you had grown up with who is now living in Kent, our our Auburn, and you know, it has come back to you know it's come back here just to sort of play or to to connect with another friend but right. it's yeah in terms of those roots they're not they're not quite there anymore and so yeah. it's so it's 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 strange to be in a place where the ground beneath your feet continues to shift all the time and yeah yeah that's interesting that's really you know i've had uh, a business up in the central district uh up since 2007 was when i opened my first business up there and over the past decade or so, I've witnessed the changes in the Central District personally, and I had a couple of people over the last week come into the new business and have said to me, hey, thank you so much for being a pillar of the community. Our kids used to X, Y, right. and Z when we were going to the TT Minor Elementary School, <laughs> and your business has meant so much to us. Right. And you probably don't hear this often. And my response was, you know, no, I don't hear this often enough. Right. And more often than not, those two people in this last week that I've heard it from mm-hmm. 
are people that don't look like me, but they are my people. Right. right. Because my people are the people that patronize, patronize yeah. my businesses. And it's so impactful. It was right. so impactful for me to hear that. Exactly. Well, because I mean, it let me know that the business that I was allowed to create benefited a lot of people, not just yes. people that look like me. Well, and I will say that, right? I mean, and that's the difference. I mean, with all this, what I, it's something like 10,000 new people every every week or month or something that's moving into this city. And, and I think that's the distinction. I mean, what you described, that's the distinction between people participating in a community right. and those simply just living in a community. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And we need more of that participation. Yes. So. And that's, you know, that brings, brings it to a point of the Yes Terrace community that we're sitting in right now. Uh, the Yes Terrace is going through a renaissance versus a gentrification because the Yes Terrace community has gone from 2,000 affordable units to, I think, 5,000 affordable units by 2020-something in addition to all the market rate rents. And so when I am sitting here in this build, business, in this building, doing the podcast, I see Low Asians, I see East yeah. Africans, I see West Africans, I see an amalgamation of different people, right. hues and skin tones, and it's like, wow, this is what the Central District used to look like. Now, how can we contribute and be a part and a pillar of this community and try to encourage the people that are in the right. for-profit housing <laughs> uh, apartments to engage with the non-corporate yeah. housing or the, quote, low-income housing individuals. How do we get them all to come out of the honeycomb hideout? Exactly. How do you have that mixture out? of class and race and ethnicity? And, right. Um, that is a great question. I mean, I think it needs to be part of the ethos here, you know, in the city and how you... How you get that uh, to happen is, is a question I'm still puzzled by. <laughs> so we, we shall see, though. Yeah, Man. and especially moving down to South Seattle. I mean, I look at Othello Station and I say, oh my gosh, you know, Othello Station is beautiful and is Bambi and rainbows and bunny rabbits. Right. It's like, okay, so is that going to be an inclusive community? Is that exactly. going to be a neighborhood that is you know, not gentrified, but gone through a renaissance. Right. I, I really love the idea of Seattle being a place of inclusion for all people. However, I know that it's not. Right, and when you have a median income now of, what, $93,000 in, I, I think the, there was a recent article about you need $76,000 as an individual just to scrape by. Um, <laughs> that is a very tough, <laughs> you know, very tough economic uh, gravity that many people face, and you know we. <laughs> it's uh, it's harder to defy. <laughs> you said to scrape. Yes, I, I heard that word to scrape by. Yeah, you know, and ten years ago you think that's a lot of money, that's right. buku bucks, but today we say, well, no, you're no, bro. <laughs> you're just gonna be, you know, right. just scraping by. You may not be able to shop at PCC every day. Right. It might be some mixture of grocery outlet in there. Right. As well, right? Exactly. <laughs> and it, it's it's uh, it's crazy, you know. But I do, I do appreciate a lot of the, the development that's going on. I mean, with with Yesla Terrace in particular, because they are holding to some of the tenants of community. Right. But the historically black community, the central district where the redlining has taken place, mm -hmm. it's very different. You know, I had a meeting about uh, a month ago 
with this person, and she said, hey, so I want to talk about your politics, who are you voting for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's put the brakes on that for right. a moment. Let's talk about you and me. Yeah. You know, how are you? How is business? How have things been going? You know, I've invited you to the to the Central District community. I went down to your business and welcomed you. Mm-hmm. And here we are three days later. What's what's happening with you? And she said, well, I really want to talk about gentrification and how the Central District is changing. Thank you. And uh, I said, okay, cool. We can talk about that. So tell me a little bit about you. Well, we had a business on Capitol Hill and we were priced out. And so we moved to the Central District. Okay, so now you want to talk about gentrification in the Central District because you were priced out of Capitol Hill? Right. <laughs> okay, so 10 years ago, were you talking about helping to fight against gentrification? Right. <laughs> oh, only when it affects you, now you want exactly. to talk about it. Right. Okay, well, let me just put a feather in that for a moment. <laughs> when a building moves into a community and disrupts the whole demographic of it, right. And makes it unaffordable for the people that have historically lived in that community. What is that called? <laughs> Gentrification. Exactly. When you relocate your business into that area that has been historically black, and you are a non-African American, non-black American, non-black person, you are contributing to what? <laughs> Gentrification. Okay. Yeah, it would have been interesting to ask that person. Well, what happened to the person who you displaced when you moved in? To the, <laughs> where did they go? Touche. Right. And that was part of the conversation was what happened to those people and were you championing, championing against that 10 years ago? Right. You know, and, and to that person's credit, I, you know, I encourage them and want them to succeed and do well because they're people. Right. The sad part is, <laughs> the sad part is not having a wide enough lens to see what your actions are contributing to. Right. Is your, how can you expand your locus of concern just beyond yourself and you know your immediate uh, immediate loved ones? Right. Which brings me to another point about Black Seattle mm-hmm. and not being black enough. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean to you? Wow, uh, that is a <laughs> that's a loaded question, as you know. Um, no, I mean for me, um, that's you know something that I question that I always pondered almost on a daily basis when I was growing up. Because even though I grew up in Rainier Beach, um, my parents sent me to you know fairly lily white private schools most of my life. You know, I was at a you know Catholic schools through elementary and college. And I'm so, gonna back up. Sorry to cut yeah. you off. Your parents didn't send you to a Lily White. Let's take that narrative. <laughs> Your parents sent you to the educational institution that they thought was best for you. And it happened to have uh, predominantly white people, <laughs> white people in there. Which is great because they sent you to an educational institution <laughs> to give you the best opportunity to become the man that you are today. So I want to have that well, well, we'll say, trajectory on it. And right. we can agree or we can not agree. <laughs> but there's no such thing as agreeing to disagree. Right, right. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I just will say in terms of, but in terms of, yeah, certainly educationally, yes, it was superior to the education that would, would have been offered at uh, the neighborhood school at yes. the time. However, in terms of social education, right, you go to a place and you're not necessarily accepted because, you know, I'm a darker brother, such as yourself. Yeah. My darkness shines, yeah. as they say, and I'm proud to be. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't necessarily always <laughs> welcomed <laughs> in certain circles. Okay. And then you come back um, into, you know, Rainier Beach and, you know, kids 
they say kids can be cruel sometimes. Yes. And they see that you're not, you know, within, you know, their social uh, milieu. You're not in, you know, their social groups yes. and so forth. And so you're kind of treated as an outsider yes. going in between the two. Um, so it was... It was an interesting experience, but I mean, I think it, it helps to galvanize um, the sort of force of will, force of identity, meaning that, you know, you start to learn that ultimately, right, it's success in life is how you, is standing out anyhow. Yes. <laughs> and so, yes. and so you learn how to do that yes. more. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, I've heard this thing where if you were not born in Seattle as an African American, it's hard to create that African-American family? It, I will say it's hard to find community, I think. I, I remember talking to a friend of mine, um, Reagan Jackson, okay. who writes for the Emerald and is a great, uh, great uh, writer and works at uh, Young Women Empowered. And I remember her telling me that when she was, oh, let's just pause. Well, uh, well we, we're gonna we're gonna take brief a break. brief we're gonna take a brief <laughs> break, folks. Uh, we will be right back. Hang tight. There's some more goodness coming up. <laughs> Okay, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to Conversations and Coffee. And again, I'm your host, Brian Wells, and we have Marcus Green here. We're going to continue on with this conversation. And uh, what were we about to get into? We were talking about how uh, black transplants uh, find their struggles to find community here in Seattle. Um, I will say, and I I brought up a um, a writer of the Emerald, uh, Reagan Jackson, who I remember talking to me once about... She's originally from the Midwest, and she talked about how when she first came to Seattle, granted, she, I think she first landed in North Seattle. Um, she talked about how the, it took her almost two years to really <laughs> you know, make inroads into uh, black community here. And that's the same with, uh, you know, I've heard very you know, similar stories from other friends about that who have... Yeah. Uh, you know, transplanting here. It's just that it's it, it takes some time. I mean, I think it's a combination of quote unquote the Seattle freeze, right? And then okay, well, where are the community hubs that people actually go to? Yeah, right? uh, yeah, yeah. Where are those black communities? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. I, I mean, I remember going down to Oakland, and I was so surprised. I was I was at a place called Miss Ollie's, and it just happened to be oh, a yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, Tuesday night. There's like ten black women just at this table, and. I'm, in my head, I'm like, is this some special occasion? And like, yeah, it was a Tuesday, and it's just after work, and people no, are hanging out. That's Gary Payton's <laughs> aunt's place, isn't it? I am not sure. You probably know more. Okay, yeah, me, but, I um, believe that's Gary Payton's. Gary Payton and his auntie okay. opened that establishment. I believe. I could be wrong. I, I know it's a destination. Uh, people, four or five different people told me that I needed to go there when I went down to, to yeah. Oakland, and so I did. But um, but yeah, there's no place quite like that here in Seattle and I think that's what you know it, it makes it hard to make those connections where you can when you can go to a regular place and see you know the routine people and then right. start to get to know them a little bit more right yeah I've had my own and I have my own story with black in Seattle and being black in Seattle and I having been here for 23 years I don't have that generational blackness Right. And I've heard oftentimes that, oh yeah, he, we, we don't, we don't, <laughs> because he's not black enough. And I say, well, that's really disappointing because I have a lot of life in my size 11 shoes or 10 right. and a half shoes, depending <laughs> on if it's you know Italian or Japanese or whatever American-made shoe, which doesn't happen anymore. Right. 
but get to know me right. before you throw a stone at me. Well, and, that, and that's what I think it is, is that in, in some, you know, the black community is not a monolith. So in some case, in some places you're just right, in other places you're not enough, in some places you're too much. So. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I, I, sorry, I don't have an afro with the pick with the fist in the back of it anymore, but I assure you I am black enough. <laughs> but here's the thing is, if you don't want me in your sandbox, I'm going to build my own sandbox. I'm not gonna knock and kick on your door anymore. I'm not gonna try to sit at your table. I'm just gonna build my own table and create my own door. And if you want to come in or sit at that table, like you're doing right now, <laughs> then we can get down and have these wonderful right. conversations and collaborate. I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's micro-community when it comes to what I've seen now. It's micro-community when it comes to black community here. Okay, we're gonna take a pause again. We'll be right back, folks. Hang tight.